Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. And I'm excited about this morning as well because I'm believing that God is going to speak to us. He's going to reveal Himself to us. And I I pray and I trust that you are ready to receive from Him, uh, that your hearts are ready and open because He is wanting to speak to you today. He is here with us by His Spirit and He's wanting to reveal Himself. So I trust you're excited and ready uh, to go. We are coming to the end of a uh, series called Amazing Grace. It's a series going through Galatians, a letter that is written by Paul to the church in Galatia, a church that had received the good news of Jesus, the good news of the Gospel, the Gospel of grace. But somewhere along the line, the church had lost its understanding of grace and receded back to religion. And Paul is writing a letter reminding them of the grace that they were called to. And uh, over the past few weeks, we've been exploring what does grace look like? The good news of Jesus, that it's not about what we do or what we achieve, but it's about Him. It's about Jesus and what He has achieved for us. That is grace. And that changes everything. And we've explored what grace means in our life, how we are a new creation. We are made new, that grace changes us and who we are. We're invited into a family, into His family, where His sons and daughters adopted in. And we're free, we're free from slavery. Last week, Derek preached on the wonderful truth that grace means that we are free from slavery. And as we track through this letter, Paul gets the point now, and we're going to explore this today about what next? Now that we understand what grace does for us, what does it mean? What does the grace-filled life look like? What does it look like to live in grace? And at the end of chapter 5, Paul begins to paint this picture of what a grace-filled life looks like. And so we're going to turn to that this morning, Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 22. If you've got your Bible, why don't you grab it and open it? Galatians chapter 5, make notes in it. Grab your phone or your digital device if that's what you use, or cast your eyes to the screen as we read this passage, a passage that has been used for many kids' songs, the fruits of the Spirit. Chapter 5, verse 22, Paul writes, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or peace, uh, patience. I always learn it as patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit and let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I had a, a Friday afternoon spare, so I surprised the family came home and suggested that we would have a wonderful, uh, fun afternoon as a family going for a walk to the park, which is something we do, and we'll go and get a treat, maybe an ice cream or a nice drink, and uh, play at the park. And, and the kids were excited, Megs was excited about that. It was a lovely uh, spring afternoon. And so the kids went and grabbed um, uh, their, their stuff, got their shoes on, their hats, and off we went. 
And we headed off the girls on their scooters. Olivia had her skipping rope. And uh, we live not too far away from South Bank. So we walked to South Bank Parklands, about 25 minutes walk. And uh, we're on our way. And, and, and you know, these are, these are fun times as a family, you know, memory making moments. And, and I was hoping that this would be just a wonderful time as a family. As we headed off, we were about halfway there and we heard this scream. Olivia had gone ahead with her skipping rope and gone around a corner and tripped over her skipping rope and landed flat on the pavement. And she had her knee was bloody and her elbow was bloody. And we ran to be by her side and to sort her out. And Megan grabbed the, the band-aids with what she had in the tissues and kind of sorted her out. She was in a fair bit of pain and we'd ran, run out of band-aids. And uh, so we made the decision to kind of make a detour on our trip to the park and go to the supermarket, which for me was suboptimal. You know, it's like any time going to the supermarket's a bad idea. Anyway, we go to the supermarket and, and Megan goes in to get some more medical supplies and I'm standing outside the supermarket and, and I'm starting to get agitated, if I'm honest, because that lovely spring sunshine was actually rather hot. And I'm starting to sweat and my shirt is getting wet. The kids are still high as a kite. They're all really excited and they're running around and I'm kind of acting as referee to stop them running in to people who are coming out of the shopping centre. Eventually, after what seemed like a very long time, Megan came out of the supermarket. She came with her medical supplies, but she'd also bought a box of ice creams. She figured, well, we were at the shops, we might as well do the treat now. So we handed out the ice creams and continued our journey, our pilgrimage by this point to South Bank. I'm still sweating and we get there. The, kid, the kids have managed to eat their ice cream apart from Jacob, who I'm pushing in a pram. We get there and I see that Jacob has, he hasn't quite figured out how to eat ice creams yet and he is covered in chocolate from head to toe. So I'm frustrated now, I'm not only sweating, I'm now to sort out my son. So I grab as many wipes as I can and I start wiping him down. Then I realise the pram is covered in chocolate as well. So I'm taking him out, I'm getting covered in chocolate. I'm trying to wipe down the pram while sweating. I'm just getting frustrated. This was not the trip that I'd planned. Megan is also tired and frustrated. And so she goes to, you know, we kind of sit in the forecourt somewhere at South Bank and she go get some drinks and we kind of just sit and collapse in the chair for a bit and kind of have a drink while the kids just run riot. And we decide at that point that we're wasting our time. This, this is, we're just going to go home. We are not going to the park anymore. The kids are not going to play in the playground. We've just got to go home. And so we decide, right, that's it, we're heading home. I run after Jacob, who's still covered in chocolate, running around somewhere. As I run after him to put him back in the pram, he trips over and smashes his knee. Now his knee is bleeding. I grab him and I try and put him in the, in the pram. And anybody who has a two-year-old knows they arch their back, they never want to get in. And I'm kind of doing this kind of thing where I'm getting my knee in his gut to try and kind of get him in the pram there. He's screaming because he's not happy and he's got to, I don't know what people were thinking as they were watching on. That is a bad parent right there. That's exactly what they are thinking at South Bank. Eventually we sort him out and off we go. Olivia's kind of limping by this stage because she's sore. And Eva and Madeline, they're on their scooters and they've taken off and Megan's yelling at them because they're crossing the road without looking. And we finally catch up to them and they're yelling at one another because they're at the crossroad and they're fighting over who presses the button first. What is it with kids and pressing buttons? It's kind of you get into a lift and it's a race to see who can hit the button. You've got to come up with all these peace agreements to see who gets to press the button first. Anyway, we negotiate that and we continue going. We're hot and tired. We're pushing along. Megan's yelling at me now because I'm making kamikaze moves across the road because I'm just desperate to get home. My theory is cars have brakes. Megan's more worried about the kids. 
And finally, we see the house in the distance and we're almost there. Maddie takes off on a scooter and hits a bump and just goes head over apex and skids her knee as well. By that point, I'm fatigued. I'm done. There is no more love in me. I don't know what I said to Maddie, probably like, just get up and let's keep going. (laughs) Finally, we get home, covered in chocolate and sweat. I just sit on the couch with Megan and we're both thinking we are the worst parents in the history of the world. Can anyone, please, any parents relate to me? Just help me out here. A couple of days later, I sit down and I read this passage because I'm preparing for this morning. And I read love, joy, peace, patience, the fruits of the Spirit. And I think to myself, clearly Paul did not have kids. (laughs) Which is true. You know, we, we read this and this list of the fruits of the Spirit, this wonderful list, and, and our heart rises and we go, yes, that's the kind of life I wanna live. I want people to think that I'm loving and kind and gentle and gracious and faithful and all of that. But if we're really honest, it's kind of like, I'm not that. You know, I, I, I can't do that. That's too difficult. And Paul doesn't put this list in here to defeat us. Paul doesn't put this picture of what it means to live a life of grace to make us feel bad. He is painting a picture as a vision for what it looks like when we truly understand what it means to walk in grace. When we truly get it, when we trust in God, when we live for Him, when we allow Him to change us, the fruit of that is this, what we read. It's a vision. It's a vision of what the gracious life is. See, Paul's big idea across Galatians as he comes to this landing point is this, is that grace liberates us to live a life of love. Grace has liberated us so that we can live a life of love. Why don't you turn to your neighbour and say that three times really quickly. Grace liberates us to live a life of love. Go on, go. Just get it in your mind. Grace liberates us to live a life of love. Now say, Peter, pe- pe- uh, Peter Piper picked a peck of pet. No, 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 we're not going to do that one. <laughs> Grace liberates us. And we've been learning this over the past few weeks that, that grace liberates us. Grace sets us free from sin. Grace liberates us, sets us free from the law. Grace liberates us from isolation. Grace liberates us from slavery. Grace liberates us from death. But grace doesn't just liberate us from things. Grace liberates us for something. Grace liberates us for love. Grace liberates us so that we can live a life of love. You might ask me, Andrew, why do you say love? What about the other fruits of the Spirit? And I would say that love subsumes all the other fruits of the Spirit. When you get love, you get everything else. The fruit of the Spirit is love and then anything else that sits under the category of love. And we see this elsewhere in Paul's writings. He says in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. It is not self-seeking. This this kind of summarises what Jesus says when He gathers His disciples together and He says, a new command I give to you, 
love. Love one another. See, the the grace-filled life, the liberated life will ultimately manifest itself in love. Who wants that? Who wants to live a life of radical love? We all do. The world longs for it. It yearns for it. We long to live a life of love. And Paul says, this is it. In fact, earlier on in the passage in Galatians 5, 13 and 14, it says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. Love your neighbour as yourself. See, the the thrust of love as we receive love is to go out. We love our neighbour. We look at the fruits of the Spirit and there is a manifestation where we are are outward in our love. We learn to love our neighbour, but we love ourself as well. It's not indivisible. Now, it's interesting that Paul says self-control. You know, that is an outworking of love. That is a fruit of the Spirit that we are called to love ourselves, the grace-filled life. Grace-filled life sets us free to, to live in love. Grace liberates us to live a life of love. And we want that, right? We want to live that, so how do we do it? How can we live this ongoing grace-filled life of love? Well, I think Paul gives us at least three tips here. And we're going to explore these really quickly this morning. Three things that he shows us and tells us how we can live the grace-filled life. Firstly, he says, follow in the footsteps of Jesus. In verse 24, he says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You know, whenever you hear that word crucified, naturally you think of Jesus on the cross. And I think Paul's being really intentional here. He says you need to crucify the flesh just as Jesus was crucified. The cross is the great symbol of grace. That Jesus has died for every one of us, for all our brokenness, for all our shame. He has done what we cannot do. And in so doing, He offers us grace. He offers us forgiveness. He offers us hope. He offers us life. That is grace. Jesus dying for us. But I don't think Paul's just alluding to the cross. I think he's pointing to the fact that Jesus lived a cross-shaped life. Everything was about the cross. He lived a perfect life with His eyes fixed on the cross. We read that he was both fully God and fully man. He felt in Hebrews, it says he, he, ha- he was tempted like each of us are tempted in every way. Yet Jesus crucified his, 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 his very being. He rejected the temptations of sin. He crucified that part of his life. He lived the perfect life and died the perfect death so he could be for us so He could offer us grace. And Paul says, just as Jesus lived that life, so too we are called to live that life through Him. Follow Him. We are called to crucify the flesh. Now, what does Paul mean by flesh here? He doesn't mean our bodies. No, we're created in the image of God. Paul is not denigrating the body as some people think Christianity is. No, Christianity celebrates what God has created. 
But Christianity also acknowledges that we are fallen, broken people. And that in us, there is a disposition to sin. And when Paul uses the word flesh here, that is what he means. He means our sinful disposition, our sinful desires. And Paul is saying you need to put to death the things in your life which are wrong, your sinful desires. Now, this, is a, this is a big idea. This is dynamite. This was dynamite back then in the Greco-Roman world, which celebrated, you know, kind of the, uh, just celebrated their body basically and enjoyed all of the outworkings of that. It was, this was dynamite. This was controversial. But this is controversial today as well. You know, we live in a culture and a society which celebrates just expressing yourself. And Paul is saying here, controversially, freedom does not come through self-expression. Freedom actually doesn't come through self-expression. We read that just before, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather serve one another humbly in love. Saying you can't actually, freedom is not just working out the, the way that you want or doing the things that you want. You know, the ethic which says, if it feels good, do it. If it feels right, do it. Paul's saying that is not true. He points to a whole work, outworking of things of the flesh. He makes the list in, earlier on in the passage, Galatians 5, verse 9 and onwards, he says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. There's a whole bunch of lists and we might look at some of those and go, well, I'm definitely not doing that. But there are others that are more socially acceptable. Anger seems to be acceptable. Envy, yeah, not so much. Yes, it's okay. Drunkenness maybe every now and again. Paul says, no, that is not freedom. The flesh will not lead to freedom. Doing what you please will not lead to freedom. Doing what you please will ultimately lead to slavery. It will enslave you. You will not be in control. And Paul says, you need to put that to death just as Jesus has done before you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German theologian and pastor who lived during the Second World War, who um, outrightly led the, uh, led the confessing church uh, with others against the Nazi regime, wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And in it, he says this on grace. He says, costly grace confronts us as a gracious call to follow Jesus. It comes as a word of forgiveness to the broken spirit and the contrite heart. Grace is costly because it compels a man to submit to the yoke of Christ and follow Him. It is grace because Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow and it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus. It is costly because it costs God the life of His Son and what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Here's the paradox. It's actually in death that we find life. It was in the death of Jesus that He could offer us life 
and we are called to follow in His footsteps. We are also invited to die, not physically, but we are to die to the things of the flesh. And as we do so, we are actually, we actually find life. Paul is saying, when you humble yourself, when you die, when you receive grace, God fills you with His life. He gives you energy and vitality. He fills you with His love. And out of that comes a whole bunch of wonderful, good things. Do you want that? Does that excite you? The challenge is that so often we find ourselves slipping back. You know, as I, as I look around the room now, I know that there'll be people here who have experienced grace, but there are things in your life, there are habits, there are behaviours that are stopping you from living in the fullness of grace. And Jesus would say to you, come back to me. Our disposition will be to try and self-correct or to try and hide but see, the invitation of grace is radical. It says, come to me. You can't do it. Grace changes you. It's grace that brings you life. It's grace that allows you to put the flesh to death. I believe that God, even, even this morning, is wanting to set some people free from a besetting sin, a pattern, a behaviour, a habit, an addiction. And the invitation is to receive grace, profoundly so. It's grace that will change you. Follow in the footsteps of Jesus, Paul says. Secondly, he says, focus on faith and not fruit. And Paul says, you know what? It's the faith. It's faith in grace, faith in what Jesus has done for you that ultimately leads to good fruit. You know, we returned a few weeks ago from an extended holiday as a family. And Megan has a whole bunch of plants which she sits on the back porch. And we left them and I guess she thought that the spring rains would come through in the storms and, and rain on the plants. But when we got back, clearly that hadn't happened. And we've got a little uh, uh, tomato vine out in the back there. And it was, it was looking sick. It wasn't looking good. There are a few shriveled up little cherry tomatoes on there. Do you think Megan went out and just with a little spray gun of water and just kind of dabbed down the, the, the strawberries, kind of like sprayed them into, not strawberries, tomatoes. I wish they were strawberries. It's just me. Do you think she addressed the fruit? Maybe wiped down the leaves and kind of give it, gave it a little bit of water? Of course not. See, that's not what's going to enable the fruit to grow. She got a big glass of water and went and poured it into the pot and into the soil because it's the soil which provides the nutrients so that fruit can grow. And in the same way, Paul is saying, don't focus on the fruit. Focus on faith, your hope that you have because that is what gives rise to fruit. What does that look like? I think what Paul is saying is he's saying that too often, too often we focus on the law and we make things that are good law. It would be very easy for us, and I imagine this would be his concern, that they'd read this and they'd read the nine you know, fruits and go, well, that's the new law. It'd be very easy for us to walk away this morning and go, right, that's it. I'm going to crochet a new kind of thing and it's going to go on the wall in the house and it's going to have the fruits of the Spirit, and that's the way I'm going to live. 
But you see what we do with that, and we have this disposition, we turn the fruit into the law. And we try and aim for that. And Paul is saying, don't do that. He says right at the end, this is his last sentence, his last verse on this whole subject. He says, let us not be conceited, provoking and envying each other. Why does he say that? Because he has concerns that the church will turn the fruit into the law. And when you turn something into the law, it becomes a hammer. It becomes an item of judgment. It becomes an item of comparison. And that's why we get conceited. That's why, we get, why, that, why envy comes in because we're comparing ourselves. How are we doing when it comes to love or gentleness or graciousness or kindness or faithfulness or whatever it is. And Paul knows that that will never lead to life. The law will never change you. The law will not change you, firstly, because it won't love you. Anybody who's received a speeding ticket will know that. Well, you know that, right? The law does not love you. The law only loves you if you obey it, but that never goes right. Just look at the people of Israel. We can never fully match up to the law. Not only does the law not love you, but then the law does not change you. It does not deal with your heart. It doesn't deal with the inward working of your motive. You know, a number of years ago, I came back to, I was living in the UK and I brought my beautiful girlfriend at the time, Megan, back for the first time to Australia. And I was really hoping that she would enjoy the, the country and, and you know, I was, I was hoping to impress her. And I took her out for a meal uh, one night and uh, we got to an intersection and it said, no U-turn. Uh, you know what I did? Because the restaurant was back there. I did a U-turn. What I didn't know is there was a policeman right behind me. And so I do the U-turn and all of a sudden I hear, you know, I hear the, the kind of the, the siren and the lights and I was like, oh my goodness, I start sweating. I'm so embarrassed. I've got my girlfriend here that I'm trying to impress. And I pull over and I, I'm starting to go red. I'm not quite sure what to say. I'm not even quite sure what Megan said. And the policeman comes out and taps on the window and says, driver's licence, please. And I go and grab my wallet and I pull out my licence and then a very wicked but creative thought came into my mind because I pulled out my license, I realised it was my UK license. And I pulled it out and I looked at the officer and I handed him my license and I said, hello mate, what seems to be the problem? <laughs> it was an accent that Dick Van Dyke would be proud of. He said, well, you, you know, he told me, he said, you know, you just took a U-turn back there. It looks like, uh, looks like you're, you're on holiday. So I, and I, I kind of continue. I'm not going to do it now, but I continued my English accent as, as well as I could, telling that, yes, we were on holidays. I was with my girlfriend. Um, and he eventually said, well, we're not in the business of you know, giving tickets to tourists, so just make sure you don't do one of those U-turns again. <laughs> I thought it was genius. Do you think the Lord changed my heart? Of course not. You see, the Lord doesn't love us and the Lord doesn't change our heart. It doesn't change our motives. We find ourselves trying to get around it, trying to justify ourselves. The Lord doesn't change our heart. And Paul understood this and that's why he says, don't make the fruit the law. Don't make it the law. Focus on faith. In Galatia, earlier in Galatians, in verse six, he says this, the only thing that counts. When I read Paul say the only thing that counts, I'm gonna underline that. 
because whatever comes after it's really important. He says the only thing that counts is faith, expressing itself through love. Paul is saying, trust God. Receiving grace is an act of faith and you need to keep doing it, even though it's so counterintuitive, even though it's so difficult, even though you feel like you don't deserve it, even though you feel like you're unworthy, you must place your faith in the power of the cross and the grace that God offers each one of us all the time. Keep going. Keep walking in grace. It's what saves us. Don't make grace. Don't make the fruit of grace law. This is a human disposition. I know it's mine. Let me encourage you. I reckon a whole bunch of us have this. We've, we've experienced grace. This was a problem with Galatia. We've experienced grace, but very quickly we've gone back to law. We've gone back to measuring. We've gone back to judging. We've gone back to comparing. We're not walking in grace. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you know that you, you feel the weight of judgment on you. You shouldn't. It's not the promise. It will suffocate you. It will kill you. It will strangle you. You will never be fruitful. It's radical. You need to trust. You need to place your faith in the God who's done it. The cross is strong enough. And finally, Paul says, be filled with the liberating power of the Spirit. See, the Lord doesn't change us because it doesn't love us. But the invitation of grace is that we're invited into a relationship with a person. Love changes us because it's a relationship. Through Christ, we're invited into a relationship. And, and Paul gives us this picture here. He says, since we live by the Spirit, in verse 25, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. He says also in the chapter, walk by the Spirit, live by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. There's this wonderful sense of relationship that through grace, through what Jesus has done for us, He fills us with His Spirit and we're invited into a relationship with Him. It's a relational concept and His love at work in us begins to change us and bring about good fruit. And we're called to keep in step with the Spirit. You know, Megan and I love going for walks to the park with our kids. And every now, well, that's maybe a little bit ironic. And every now and again, we love holding hands. It very, very rarely does it happen where Megan and I with our kids can actually hold hands and walk. But when we do, we just need to keep in step or else it doesn't work. It's this wonderful picture of relationship that we are to keep in step with the Spirit. And the analogy of marriage actually is a really helpful one because marriage is a relationship that's worked out over time. And, and, and in it, if it's done well, if love is at the centre, then good fruit comes from it. You know, Megan and I want to keep in step with one another as we love and bless our family. And there are some really practical things that we must do if we're to keep in step, if we're going to continue to grow, if we're going to continue to be fruitful as a family. And it's not very exciting stuff, but it's really important. Practical things to keep in step. 
No, we need to spend time together. We need to communicate. You know, communication's really difficult. I'm looking across and there are people who have been married for many years and not many at all, but we would all say that communication's really, really important and also really hard. Do I hear an amen? So we have to create space and time. You know, regularly Megan and I have date nights where we can spend time talking and talking about the big things going on in our family and in our life. Every night Megan and I carve out time to pray together. Not only are we inviting God into our marriage, but I tell you, it opens up conversation. It's, it's really hard to hold a grudge or be angry when you come to pray together with God involved. You know, there's something about it. And we need to communicate every Sunday night. This is, we just do this religiously. Every Sunday night, we sit down with our calendars and we go through the next two weeks just to understand what's going on just to know where we are. Megan needs to know where I, what I'm doing and what the plans are and all that kind of stuff. It doesn't sound really exciting, but it enables us to keep in step with one another so that we can continue to grow in love for one another and so our family can continue to be blessed. And in the same way, there are some really practical things that we can do to foster grace in our relationship with God so that we can continue to grow, so that we can cultivate the soil so that uh, the gifts of the Spirit can grow. And they're not really exciting, but they're really important. Things like repentance. Wow, heavy. I don't think we talk about repentance enough in the church. It sounds heavy, but, but it shouldn't be. To be a Christian is to repent. To be a Christian is to come to our loving Heavenly Father who offers us grace and say, God, I am broken, I am messed up. I've got it wrong, I've done this, I've said this, whatever it is, knowing with confidence that we approach God who always offers us grace. We need to cultivate in our routine and in our life the capacity, the ability, the discipline to bend our knee and to repent. It's a, it's a practical practice that cultivates our heart as we walk in grace. You know, we're invited into church community, gathering here on a Sunday for worship, baptisms, communion, being with one another, asking how we're doing, finding ourselves in life groups. Let me encourage you, if you're not in a life group, find yourself in a life group. It's a great place where grace is mediated. Practical, be in church community. Find yourself in community. Prayer, communication with God, talking with God, allowing Him to talk to you, to reveal Himself to you. It's, it's basic communication, walking in the Spirit, walking with God. And we've been given His Word, His Bible, this great message of His purpose and His plan for the redemption of humanity. In it, we find truth which gives us life. In it, we find truth which reminds us of who we are, that we are His children. In it, we find faith. We need to spend time reading His Word. It's not really exciting. It doesn't really demand much of us, to be honest. But as we do it, as we walk in step with the Spirit, our hearts are moulded, they're shaped, and we grow more and more in the Spirit. We grow more and more like Jesus. 
It's grace. As we receive grace, as we walk with him, we are changed. I love what John says, John chapter 15, as he gathers his disciples in the upper room and he prays for them and he teaches them. He says to this, this to them in John chapter 15, just a couple of verses. It says, remain in me, Jesus says. Another word is abide. Abide in me, remain in me, and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is saying, just remain in me. You're with me, you're in me. Just keep doing that. Just keep remaining and abiding in me. It's not too difficult. It's an invitation to grace. And as we do that, our hearts, our lives are changed and we become fruitful. Not looking at the fruit, but journeying in faith, taking hold of grace. Our lives are changed. Do you want that today, people? Do you wanna live in the fruit of the Spirit? Do you wanna live with vitality and life, excitement and joy? And God offers that to us and it's all in grace. I believe that God is wanting to pour out His Spirit this morning and just encourage a bunch of us. As we come to the end of this series, I think our act needs to be one of receiving, of remaining. No matter where you are, what your story is, whether you are struggling with religion or whether you're struggling with addictions and habits and sin, whatever your journey is and wherever you are, the offer is always and always will be grace because it's only grace that changes you. Before we create some space for you to receive and respond, I'd love to create a moment for people here who maybe this is your first time to Gateway, maybe you've been coming here a while, maybe you have zero experience of church or maybe you've been in church your whole life, but you have never acknowledged Jesus as your hope, as your Saviour. And as you sit in your seat right now, you realise that you are not in relationship with Him that He is not in you, that you are not walking with Him and that you are struggling with things that I've been talking about now with no way of knowing how to get out. You are not free and you wanna be free. Let me tell you, freedom comes through grace, grace in Jesus Christ. Acknowledging that you are broken and that you're sinful and receiving Him into your life. I'd love to create a moment right now for anybody who's in that place right now and you know that you need to be in relationship with Jesus. So I wonder whether across this room right now we could just bow our heads and close our eyes. Something that we do regularly here at Gateway. Just give some freedom and space for people to respond. And if that's you, you're sitting here right now and you are not in relationship with Jesus, but you long for that grace. You wanna be set free. You wanna be liberated to live a life of love. Just with every head bowed and every eye closed, that's you. I'm gonna ask you just to stick your hand up high in the sky and say, that's me. I need grace, I need love, I need to be set free this morning. Just across this room right now, just stick your hand up high in the sky. Is there anyone? This is your moment, this is your time to step out of darkness and into light, to receive His grace. Anybody, just across this place, stick your hand up high in the sky. We're not gonna have an extended time.
heart might be pounding, you're really unsure, but you just know, you know you're compelled. The Spirit is resting on you. Anyone? That's cool. Hey, why don't we stand together in this place? We just keep providing space and opportunity for people to respond. Come on, let's stand. If you are here and you don't know Jesus, I would love to chat with you afterwards. If you've got questions that you have, please come and see me. We wanna make every opportunity available to you to respond to the, the good news of grace. Hey, I reckon there's just a, a few short moments that we have left just to receive. I'd love to create just a space right now, just where we are, just to be still. We don't often get this opportunity at church, but just to receive. I invite you maybe just to put your hands out in front of you like, like this. There's nothing magical about that. It's just a posture of saying, God, I wanna receive from you afresh. I want your spirit, Lord. I need you. I wanna just shut our eyes. God is here by His Spirit. He's wanting to pour His grace into our hearts. That's His role. Just in this place, just be still. Allow the Spirit of God to pour Himself into you afresh. Not striving, not doing, just receiving. prayer but just if God is, is ministering to you, feel like there's a prompting you need to receive prayer this morning for something, maybe it's something I've been speaking on, you need liberation you need freedom or maybe you just need to receive more of the Spirit, there's a longing for you to receive the Spirit, let me just encourage you right now, if I can get the prayer team just to come down, we don't have heaps of time prayer team come down and if that's you you just want to receive more of the Spirit, just come as we sing this prayer just come where you are and be ministered to. Receive His grace, receive His goodness, His kindness, His love. Come on, let's sing together. Come out from where you are. You feel like God is speaking to you. You need more of Him in your life. You need more of His power in your life. Just step out from where you are. Come and receive it. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you've made a decision to follow Christ or would like us to pray for you, please go to gatewaybaptist.com.au and let us know. 